everyone, and welcome to another episode brought to you by Yahoo Sports Canada. You guys already know the deal. Like, share, subscribe, leave a comment down below, especially if it's positive. My name is Iman, and I'm joined by Asad. Asad, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We are doing a two-parter. Got you to join me for part one. We're taking a look back at the Raptors season and giving some grades. I also want to spend a little bit of time talking, speculating, if you will, because speculating is always fun, about the coach next year and how some of these players really would fit in to having a new coach. So to begin, the Raptors' grades... Let's start with the big one. Let's just go right into it. How would you grade this Raptors season? Um. Well, you know, as Giannis Antetokounmpo says, you know, just because only one team can win, um, you know, everything is part of a process. So there's no failures. Um, but this Raptors season definitely fails. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's. I I think there were very few good things that came out of it. But I do think that they reached at least a starting lineup by the end of the year that you can be very confident in. Uh, the Built rest of the roster, I don't know about. But, hey, you know, getting through another season of development with your young guys to hopefully get to the promised land of them, you know, becoming good NBA players is uh, is something that you can, I guess, say is a positive as well. Everybody will have a chance to be better next year. That is true. I mean, hopefully um, we all have a chance to be better next year. But yeah, that Giannis comment, I thought like, I thought it was a fair question. I think it's a fair question to ask. And I thought Giannis's answer was fair. I agreed with the premise of Giannis's answer. And I know this isn't a podcast about Giannis or the Milwaukee Bucks, but we can clown Milwaukee for a little bit. Why don't we, you know? Um but it just, in context, it just was not right. I'm sorry. There are failures in sports. And what the Raptors did this season, we could talk about it, is a failure, right? Like, they, when you take a step backwards, you're failing. Growth isn't linear. But when collectively everyone is taking a step backwards, that's failing. And I'm sorry, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you had a hard-fought series against the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers or in the finals against, you know, Jokic or Kevin Durant or whatever – and you lose, yeah, I don't believe in championship or bust. I, I I think that that philosophy is bad in sports. If you lose that, yeah, I don't think the season is a failure. But as the one seed to fold against the eight seed in five games, which no other one seed has ever done in the history of basketball or in the history of the NBA at the very least, that's a failure to do it in five games. Also to have a 16 point lead at home in an elimination game and to lose that, which again, no team has done. That's a failure. You're breaking NBA records with your failures. I'm sorry. Everyone looked, everyone lacked composure, right? Like everyone kind of looked scared of the moment. You guys are champions and you're going against Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin who looked way more poised than you. I don't understand it. It's a failure. There are some failures. It's not championship or bust, but maybe it's make it out the first round or bust, right? Yeah. Um, I do I do think that one thing that has kind of become clear is um, I do agree uh, like at the Raptors definitely underperformed this year. It is what it is. After the trade deadline, they performed better. Did they beat any good teams? So that could be kind of debatable. But, like, I think we did find a rhythm with a starting lineup that worked. Sure. Um, but I think something that you're seeing in the playoffs especially is, like, there are a lot of teams that are struggling, and they're struggling because they do not have a bench. 
And that's whether you go to the Bucks and they struggle with their bench. You go to the Heat, they struggle with their bench. Um, Not in that playoffs, everyone was hitting the Cavs. I think that's a perfect example of you know going up against with anybody in their bench, yeah. right? And there's um, like numerous examples um, in the West as well, where it's just like it, you, like even the Warriors. Like anytime Steph sits and they have to go to their bench, they significantly struggle. Um, I think we're in an NBA situation where you just have so much parity that a lot of the teams that you either need to have a superstar that can help you basically have a floor that's so high that you're at least guaranteed the playoffs. Um, but otherwise it's like, Hey, you've got to spend a lot of money on your starting lineup to make sure it's really good. And then just hope your bench kind of hits. And then the playoffs comes down to matchups, which is kind of what we saw. Like the Knicks, they don't have a superstar, but they had so many guys play above their salary level that, you know, they're able to knock off a team like Cleveland that, you know, would in theory have a superstar in Donovan Mitchell, uh, quote unquote. I won't say that, but you know, other people will claim he's a superstar. I mean, um, superstars league wide superstar things be, in the playoffs. Yeah, which is also true. Which but like he's again, done. like you see on one side, you see teams that are overextending their starting lineups versus yeah. teams that have benches they can kind of go to. And I think in at least in this new NBA that we're in, where there's a lot more parity, you need to have a bench that you can trust, and your bench needs to hit above its weight. You can't just you yeah. know, pay top dollar for the best guys you need um you also need um it's not just paying top dollar for the best guys you also need guys to perform overperform their uh salary number or at least perform to the level and i think when you look at the raptors situation that was something they really struggled with this year where normally they've hit on some development guys like outplaying their contract and this year they did it and then the guys that they went out to go get, like an auto porter, and they pay, you know, top dollar on the market to get an auto porter because auto porter wasn't getting that money anywhere else. Uh, and then he plays eight games for you, right? So, like, we can talk about the bench and kind of go through it, but yeah. that's, that's, I mean, there's I think... a couple of things that you said there. So, hold on, hold on, hold on. I completely, because I, I, I want to, I want to touch on a couple of those things. I think, okay, the conversation of a bench is, is why I want to have this podcast. I really wanted to focus in on the bench. So, I think looking at how they sort of have been playing out in the playoffs is important because we're seeing teams with them in the Knicks and even in, in the heat, they're not a deep team, but you're seeing guys like Highsmith is stepping up. You're, you're seeing Cody Zeller have minutes. You're seeing like, um, you know, Kyle Lowry coming off the bench and like, you know, really carrying that for them. They lost Tyler hero. They lost Victor Oladipo, but they're having Duncan Robinson has reemerged, right? We're seeing some of those guys really show up and come up the Knicks, the depth. We're talking about them going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers team, which I think is really interesting because the Cavs traded a lot of their depth, of course, to get Donovan Mitchell, to get that star. And the Knicks didn't end up making that deal, but were able to get guys like Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, who's been absolutely massive for them. You know, not a star to the level of Donovan Mitchell, but it's knocked them out of the playoffs two times in a row. Um, and so you, you, you're looking at the difference between a team that is made as sort of a collective unit and having multiple pieces versus just having your superstar. I think the Clippers and the Suns were also a perfect example of that. But of course, the Clippers stars went down. And so the Suns stars, you know, sort of took up. But, you know, at the beginning of that series, it kind of felt like the Clippers were going to win it because their depth was really showing out. And I think we're going to see that trend throughout the playoffs. And so focusing in on the bench is really important, which is what I want to do here today. Um. This brings it into a lot of different sort of areas because I'm trying to like, I'm trying to sort of spearhead where I really want to focus in on. But before we get into grading, um, 
what the Raptors bench is. I want to focus in on the people who constructed this team, the reason why the Raptors do lack a bench. And hey, if anyone's wondering why this Raptors team lacks a bench, you win a championship, right? Like you go to do that and your you're Pascal Siakams, who granted was not a bench player that year, but was almost one at the beginning of the year, was talked about, you know, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, who are you going to stagger? Who's going to come off the bench, right? OG, Fred Van Vliet, Norm Powell, who turns into Gary Trent Jr. All of these guys slowly became starters. And so you lost what you had there and the Raptors their idea is to sort of refunnel and, and get those young guys to to develop and come into you know become Siakam 2.0s and, and so on and so forth and the Raptors just not been able to do that so my question to you is is that because there are there is no real young talent to the level of a Fred Van Vliet that the Raptors have been able to find obviously like Pascal's an all-NBA player Fred Van Vliet is an all-star so like maybe these heights are too high but have the Raptors just not been able to find great guys? Or do you think that it's a development issue and the Raptors just haven't given these guys a chance? I know that's like a really long-winded way of putting it, but before we get into the nitty-gritty, I just wanted to get a, well, an overall sense. Into, before we even get into that, like, again, like how they're, the Raptors in that championship season, the season before, they had a bench full of like first-round picks coming off, right? Whether they're like 15th or 20th picks, like outside sure. of Norm Powell, like you're talking about, yep that's fine norm and fred are norm is a whatever, second round guy. second round and undrafted yeah. but it's like two guys over the course of like six years that you're talking about that are coming malachi's like, a first round pick man. yeah right? and that's, like, that's the thing right but malachi's the only like it's malachi and scotty are the only two first round picks that you have since the championship that are on the team that's because you obviously like it's just fair. like you know championship equity you paid a lot of first round picks to get that championship team in you need to get marcus all and whatever um but at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, now moving forward, how do you kind of restock that? So the Raptors tried to go the route of undrafted guys and second rounders and trying to like, you know, hit hit there or try to do redraft guys like Rondé and Stanley. Neither of those worked out. Um, and then they just, you know, you get unlucky with the Utah and O'Shea who are I just forgot injured about during Rondé their and Stanley. Yeah, like Utah and O'Shea were brought in and they were here for a year or two, but they spent most of those years injured and couldn't really like strike any build any type of grip because of injury um so like at a certain point like you like as management you have to kind of re-roll it and you know you get unlucky but go somewhere else they're able to stay healthy and you know perform which is unfortunate but like again you give someone two years and they can't stay healthy can't go it i think like especially for those end of bench spots i can understand why management would re-roll those spots for younger guys i will say though these past two years especially uh, where we've really seen basically the Raptors were ahead of schedule because Scotty Barnes came in a lot better than he was projected. Um, suddenly it was like, oh, we can actually win and get into the playoffs, uh, but we have to play a certain style. So we're playing a we're playing a different style of basketball. We're playing very starter heavy to try and grind these wins out, so that way we don't like are able to maximize our top end talent. Even though the Raptors don't have any, like the Raptors have first like first stringers and third stringers. And they have very few guys that are in that second string category. Like there are very few teams where Chris Boucher or Precious Shua will be your sixth and seventh man. They will likely be your eighth or ninth man, but they're your sixth or seventh man. Like your sixth and seventh, your sixth and seventh roster spot is usually someone who can be a starter, who can be someone who can, you know, give you 25, 30 minutes if someone goes down. And the Raptors have up until this Jakob Pertl trade just not had a sixth starter. Like we could say Precious Shua showed glimpses of that in his first season. Um, with the Raptors but he you know 
struggled mightily this season, which is again development. Like you have a young player, you're gonna have ups and downs. It is what it is. But he wasn't a starter level player this year. Um, meanwhile, Gary Trent, you know, he struggled, he had his struggles with health throughout the season as well. But you could still say that he was, you know, at least the one guy who could be a starter quality guy coming off your bench. Well, who's the next guy, right? And I think when you look at some of the best teams in the league, it's not just that they have starters, but they'll have one or two guys on their bench who can legitimately come in and give you starter minutes, right? Um, and again, that that's something that you have to develop with the bench, whether it's like, and now like you can get in the philosophy, like if guys deserve minutes or not, or if guys are given more minutes, they can carve out a role. But what happens is when you have like that type of talent dearth where the fall off is pretty sharp, like mm-hmm. Malachi Flynn is a first round pick, but at like, you have, we've seen a lot of him. No, but we have seen a fair bit of him. And the fair bit we have seen, I've personally say is, a very struggling NBA player. Like he struggles to be a backup point guard um, and we can go into when we get into grading him. But like, again, it's like, if you like, these are players that have significant flaws in their game. So when you play them more minutes, like your margins are just so much smaller when they make big mistakes. So it's like, even when people talk about the Raptors this season, like the Raptors underperformed this season, well, why'd they underperform? Well, some of their big minute guys just underperformed. And you can talk about Fred underperforming and uh, Pascal having a slump or OG being injured or whatever and those are fair criticism for them but also the Raptors did play Precious Achua significant minutes like Precious Achua's minutes more or less tanked them two or three games in the stretch run of the season because he came on for 10 minutes and completely bottled the game right but you play him because those are development minutes so Scotty at the beginning of the season you know came out didn't have the right focus couldn't figure out his game but you play him through it you play him the 30-35 minutes because those are the development minutes. You eat those bumps and eating those bumps is going to cost you two or three wins in a season. Right. And it just becomes a point. It's like, well, you can eat those bumps with like two guys who are playing big minutes, but now you're going to then also tack on bumps of trying to see Delon, like Delano Banton played a lot of minutes in the early part of the season. And he was also not good at any point. Delano Banton did not have any good minutes outside of when the team was down 20 or up 20 in garbage time. And that is a significant problem, right? Um, and that's where you can kind of look at like we as fit, we from the outside will have no perspective on what their development system is behind the scenes. But how are these like what's happened there? You have a talent drain from your best years to now, where all the guys who head that department are more or less, you know, whether it's Golden State or Orlando or LA, whatever they might be. And you like, is are they still developing talent the same way? Like, do they still have the like they? they're getting worse talent in the door because they didn't have first round picks the last few years to really like hit on. And then you also have a question of maybe they don't have the same development power. So that's something that, and Masai brought it up in his pressure as well, something that they legitimately need to look at moving forward. Um, and it, it, it did mean something to me that the names that Masai mentioned, like he personally named Christian Coloco, Malachi Flynn, Delano Banton, um, Ron Harper Jr., um, Jeff Doughton. Like, these are the guys that, like, he actually named in his end-of-season presser. Um, and those are all guys where, like, you can look at them, and yes, you could say, like, they probably need more minutes to develop, but you can also argue that they're all significantly flawed players as well at the moment. So they probably need to improve their baseline skills as well as probably given a little bit more rope. But I would... I wouldn't say that it's just a matter of, oh, they get more minutes, they'll be better. I like, there are like sufficient, there's sufficient amount of evidence that they 
struggle at very core things, how the team runs. And maybe, maybe that's where a new coach helps, right? Like maybe what they need is significantly more role definition where the Raptors. Well, that's sort of what I wanted to get into, right? Is like, (laughs) I don't want to call it the nature and nurture of it, but like essentially like, is it that the Raptors just don't have anything to work with in terms of bench depth? Or is it that these guys are just not given a chance, right? You're sort of starting to hear both of those arguments. And I have a couple of bangers from Kirtika, the, the stats that she has, uh, phenomenal. Um, Toronto is ranked first in most starter minutes and last in most in least bench minutes in each of the last three seasons. So we're going back to when guys like, you know, Fred Van Vliet and, and Pascal and OG and all these guys came into the starting lineup first in starter minutes and last in bench minutes. That points to something there. She also has that the Raptors have ranked in the bottom 10 in efficiency field goal percentage, um, which we'll get into a little bit, but specifically about bench points that they're, um, that for the last three years. So again, these last three seasons, the Raptors are dead last in bench points, Um, which like comes into the big question of like, whether it's the, you know, what side it's on but um you know I I think just to have an overarching conversation about the bench as a whole is kind of how I wanted to get into it initially but I do want to speak about each of these guys and we're gonna go you know we're gonna go and just sort of give them grades right so I'm just gonna name some bench guys and I want you to tell me as a teacher putting on your teacher hat what your grade would be for this player you ready Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Perfect. So let's start off with let's let's start off with Otto. <laughs> Just because, you know, he did pick up his option for next year. So technically, you know, still going to be a guy coming in next season, but only got what, like eight games of him this year. What are your thoughts about what grade would you give to Otto Porter Jr.? Otto Porter has an incomplete. He deferred all of his exams. Um, so we, we're not going to know until he does his makeup exams at the end of the day. But if he never plays another minute for the Raptors, then it was definitely a F. Uh, but if he does play this next season and he is back and within the fold, then we're just grading him for 2022, 2020. If we're just grading him for this season, like it's just an incomplete. Like you can't really say anything. In the games he played, he looked good. He looked like a positive veteran presence out there. He hit shots. Um, and he would have really helped this team if he was healthy. But again, uh, if healthy is a, a big question mark. And again, like you all, like that's just part of the auto porter experience at the end of the day. So I'm just going to give him an incomplete. I don't think there is a grade to give. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. I, I wanted to start with him just to get him out of the way, just because there is that news that he did pick up his player option. So as of right now, we'll be on the team next year. But let's start with someone who was actually a bench piece. This is a guy who played 76 games for the Raptors coming off the bench. Chris Boucher. What were your thoughts on on Chris Boucher? What grade would you give him? Chris Boucher is a tough one to grade because um, I think I think you got to give him a B plus because like he's like again like you have to understand. I think it's about figuring out expectations of a player like Chris Boucher. Yeah. You know, he did what he was supposed to do. Like, he came in with energy. Like, he dealt with an injury out the gate. And then when he came back, he had a good stretch. Um, And then he kind of, like, lost his way for a little bit with everybody on the team did at some point. But I think near the end of the season, he became, like, at least one of the most consistent energy guys where it's just like, hey, if he's on, he's on. And you're going to just get offensive rebounds. You're going to get shots up. And you're going to get um, uh, rebound. Uh, what do you call it? Just, like, plays at the rim. Yeah. And 
like he's a like for what his role is to come off the bench provide energy and just like be kind of like uh not a microwave scorer but be like a chaos agent he he did his job he did his role i think he might be a little bit overextended but that's more of a roster issue but for what he needed to do this season i think he improved across the board um in the second half of the season he found his three-point stroke and really did well there as well helped kind of extend uh some of the raptors three-point shooting woes uh resolve some of those so uh, i give him a b plus i think like at the end of the day like with chris Boucher, you're always gonna get the same thing where it's like you'll get some you know aloof plays um aloof. you know once or twice a game where he might you know forget a rotation or rotate wrong or you know let his emotions get to him a bit but for what his role is on the team i think he did a pretty decent job yeah, I completely agree. I think B plus is very fair for Chris Boucher. He, he what you want from your bench players, we're gonna find as we go through this list. Not a lot of guys are giving you this, which is just a solid twenty minutes. Come in for twenty minutes and just like give us give give and the for, team and for what it's worth. I know that this isn't something that's been said about Chris Boucher. I think throughout his entire career, but for compared to the rest of the Raptors bench, he was definitely the most consistent bench player yeah. throughout the season. Oh, entirely, so... which is why he gets that. I feel like that's a very consistent yeah. grade. I, I I think that Chris Boucher was, was exactly what the Raptors needed. If he can, you know, continue that out, it'd be great. Okay, so um, next up is going to be Thaddeus Young. What grade would you give the Raptors grizzled vet? Thaddeus Young? Uh I'm trying to think, and honestly, I like with him. Like, you just gotta give him like a. I don't want to give him. A, I guess it's a D, to be honest. Like at the end of the day, what happened with that was that he significantly fell off as a player this season. Um, like the things that he was mo- just moved a lot slower this season, struggled with finding the pace. Um, it didn't help that again, like he was working with a, the bench unit a lot of the times, and it didn't right. like as a he's just not a five um and i think one of the big things they kind of lost was that kind of came in it was being like someone who could give you like minutes at the four but he could also switch guard at the three a bit and then you know give you like some spot minutes at the five but this season it kind of became very clear that he was only a four um so that regression was pretty quick um i do think like he's a positive locker room vibe i think the Raptors lack leadership throughout um, but it just gets trickier as the season goes on if you're not playing and if you're not playing well. Um, while there were glimpses of Thad Young being good this season, like at the end of the day, like for him, he was never able to really find a way to make an impact in the defensive schemes that the Raptors are running. I do think that he could still be a useful player, but he needs to be in a much more conservative system um, and a much more structured offense probably. Um, I think he still has a good role as a passer, um, and he can make things happen, but in kind of like a freewheeling system where it's like a lot of read and react, he kind of goes to waste a lot of the time, um, especially when you have a lot of players that play kind of like matchup hunting one-on-one basketball rather than a ball movement heavy system. But yeah, I give him a D plus for this season, probably just because. He didn't play towards the yeah. end, right? Just completely bench towards the end. We didn't see him for what, what was it? The final 14 games, uh, I believe there. So like, I think that's fair, and I, I think I, I like I like that you brought up that we just don't know what the behind the scenes are. Having a veteran presence like Thaddeus Young has to help, especially for a team that has you know really lacked that and needed that. I also just feel bad for Thaddeus Young. Like I'm gonna add a plus to the end of that, just because like 
why do you go to so many crap teams? Like, that's always been, like, I'm just like, save Thaddeus Young and put him on a good team. And he finally comes to the Raptors where I'm like, yay, perfect. And the Raptors are, of course, just not a good team when it happens. Uh, it's unfortunate. But um, yeah, it you, you saw him age and he just can't do what the Raptors needed him to do, which is a little too much. I think the Raptors just asked a lot of a player who is 34 years old right now. Um, and yeah, can't be overextended in that way. Uh, let's go from <laughs> let's go from a one of the older players uh, or the oldest player specifically uh, to the youngest player, Christian Coloco. What grade would you give to Mr. Christian Coloco? The uh, player off the bench, I, let me say, because Scotty Barnes for, is for Christian Coloco to be a second round pick um, and play as many minutes as he did this season, like I. I'm not gonna give him an A plus because like there's always room for improvement, but he's definitely in an A A minus territory because like he came in and from the start of the season and basically throughout the season he made his like defensive presence known and like like the biggest flaws with him are what that he's just not strong enough yet that he struggles at the rim offensively, um, which are like no those are pretty big. But yeah, like, but those are, are like good. no, but those are known development areas that we kind of sure. knew coming in. So, like, for the expectations sure. of someone, like, for him to you know average, what? Like you know what? 13 minutes same, a game. Same development issues people would give to someone who maybe started for the Cavaliers. Exactly. So, <laughs> like, uh, if he has the same offensive issues as Duncan. the number two pick uh, <laughs> from last year's draft, like, what are we saying? But, no, but seriously, Christian, uh, I was actually very, uh, like, looking back at some of his film uh, after the season, I was pretty surprised at just, like, I think he's fairly close to becoming, like, a really good bench pick. Mm. Uh, at the minimum, like his defensive impact numbers were outstanding throughout the year. Like there was right. like he, his rim protection was real. And even without the size to like fully win out, like his defensive reboundary could probably get a lot better as he gets stronger. Like he just got pushed off of positions a lot just because he's a very slender, he's very slender right now. Right. But as he, you know, got bigger and especially towards near the end of the season, like when he did that long G league stunt and came back, he had some really good games uh, where he like effectively replaced pressure the two in the lineup because he was just playing really good basketball, really sound basketball. He was setting good screens. He was a little bit better with his positioning um, as a big to make sure that he wasn't clogging the paint as much. And again, being like him being as defensively viable as he was for what his role is on the team. Like you got to give him an A. I think I, I'm going to give him an A. I, I think like there there was no expectation that Christian Coco would even play minutes in the first half of the season, and he ended up probably playing. He played more minutes than any of the other prospects on the team. Um, that's I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. You know what, Christian Coloco of any guy who's played at least, I think thirty minutes <laughs> or played at least thirty games. I mean, he has the highest net rating of any bench player. Um, he might be. <sighs> By, by a significant margin, I should say. So just by that factor alone, <laughs> I think that like um, of anyone who uh, Scott, Scotty Barnes is in here having only played a game, Ron Harper Jr. is in here as guys who have higher net ratings. But I, I was sort of looking it up as you were speaking. I think that sort of points to the fact that like, hey, he and you know what? Beyond that, what you need from your bench players, and we talked about this at the top, which is why I was glad that we could have that conversation initially, is sometimes you have to play starter minutes. Sometimes you have to fill in for somebody 
or for a role that the team needs, and that's what he did before the Raptors had Yaka Pirtle. When they needed a rim protector, we saw what the rim protection numbers are, which is the reason why he has such a high net rating is because of how often he had to play alongside the starters, and the starters are good. Like, I'm sorry to the guys who don't play alongside them quite often. You're not going to have as high of a net rating, but he filled a role that this team really needed in those key moments, and granted, he's not there yet in his development, but for what this team needed, I thought he did a good job. Um, he hit a three, <laughs> single solitaire three from the corner, which was all, which was really fun. And I think it's fun to have fun moments like that. I give grades pretty easily. I feel like I'd be a really chill teacher. A's for everybody. So uh, I'm giving I'm giving Christian Coloco the highest grade from the bench. He gets he gets an A from me. Um, next up on this list is there is there a bench player you want to focus in on, or you want me to just keep naming them? Um, well, I think, I think having talked about Christian Coloco, we should probably look at the longest standing bench player who doesn't get minutes is like Malachi Flynn. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna work my way up to Malachi, but let's do it now. This is, this is a fair time. Okay. Malachi is interesting because like the Raptors clearly have a need for a backup point guard and yet he would go through large stretches of this season and last season where he just wouldn't get minutes. And I guess like you can have your frustrations with Nick and say that, oh, like, the coaching staff is just not giving him minutes. You can't really see what he can do. But also, I'll be honest, like, he did get, like, his fair share of bench minutes here and there in, like, some stretches of this season and some stretches of last season. And looking at it, like, when you actually look at what Malachi Flynn does in the minutes he gets rather than focusing on just what he does when he gets, like, 25-plus minutes where you can kind of work through mistakes, the fact of the matter is Malachi Flynn is not a good enough player to be playing 25 minutes on any team that wants to win anything um he's like he just frankly isn't a good enough player like you can't give someone with his significant flaws what we saw this season was anytime malachi flynn subbed off like by midway through the season coaches had figured out hey if malachi's on the floor just tack him where you just force switch 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 get him at the top of the key and you have james harden attacking him you have any wing that can dribble the ball getting a malachi flynn switch and walking through him um and that and that's something that like in his first season, I thought he was actually pretty good defensively containing people. And then looking at it now, like this season, he struggled containing anybody really defensively. Like he can kind of stay in front of you, but people just realize they can just go through him. So he doesn't actually put any resistance up, which is really tough to do. So if he's not, he is truly like a defensive liability. Then you have to ask yourself, well, what does he do offensively? And if the only good thing that he's shown offensively is to hit catch and shoot threes, that's a very like that is such a one. I haven't dug into player. his pull up numbers. That like his wh- pull up numbers are not good. Okay. They are okay. no bueno. He is a not a good pull up shooter. Okay. Uh, and especially one of the biggest things is one of the biggest pieces of his shot diet is pull up mid rangers, and he takes them with like 14, 15 seconds left on the clock. Which again, if it was like say a Gary Oof. Trent Jr. or some like a shooting guard doing right. that, it's like okay, that's fine. But when you're the point guard and you're the one who is going to like create something out of play. You cannot be taking a shot that you don't hit. Malachi Flynn simply does not hit mid-range shots. Like, he struggled to hit them this season, last season, his first season in Tampa. He's a very bad mid-range shooter. I don't remember the numbers off-head, but he is, like, below 25% on mid-range jumpers. And he pulls up on a lot of them, and he does not hit any pull-ups. Like, he's under 20% on pull-up mid-rangers. So, the only I found that the only jumpers he's good at hitting are step-backs because he's able to get his feet set 
Um, and then a lot of times when you watch him, even in the pick and roll, like they gave him Christian Coloco uh, in the back half of the season where you got to play a little bit more minutes with a Jacoperto and a Coloco in pick and roll. Like he still struggled as a pick and roll creator where you saw Fred Van Vliet succeeded as a pick and roll creator. And you can talk about chemistry needing to be developed or whatever, but Malachi Flynn, the biggest part of his game was being a pick and roll creator. And he just struggles with size in the NBA. He's scared of the guy coming behind him um, and blocking him from behind. So he rushes and he's scared of dribbling too far into the paint because he also doesn't have the best handle. Like he has small hands at the end of the day. So he has to kind of cradle the ball a lot and go left, right a lot. And that's a struggle. I just don't, I don't see a clear path to Malachi Flynn having major minutes on a good team unless he significantly improves, like he has to actually shoot the ball better. Like if he does have a pull, like he's able to get to that pull up midi great, but you got to at least get to like a 40% clip on that to be even like respectable. Like you have to at least like as a point guard, play out the possession a little bit more. Um, I think in college he was a scoring guard. Like he was a pick and roll point guard, but he was a scoring like combo guard. And you're kind of seeing that he just doesn't go quick enough. Like his pace is slower um, his processing of reads is a lot slower than it needs to be. And it takes him a long time to get in the games. And as a bench player, you have to be able to find a way to impact the game a little bit faster than that. Um, so if you had to give him a letter grade, what grade would you give? I, give him, a, I give him a C minus like great. That, yes. Like he, you know, he I, was, was able, I was thinking he would go lower. Like the thing is like, I didn't have much expectation from him. Um, but like, can he start and be like a safe option as a point guard? in your starting lineup if like fred's out sure um i think the raptors chose just not to go with malachi flynn as the starting point guard even when fred was out a lot of the times but he can give yeah. you like 20 30 minutes and you can kind of maybe survive it well, the idea was to like develop yeah. scotty i i guess okay so here's my question neil yep um so you're saying give him a, a c minus you think you can start i I don't know about that. He's well, no, like, I don't think he can start. Like, I like his his in like spot minutes. His, like his best ability, games. his best ability as a point guard is that availability. He can he can bring the ball up and uh, pass it to a good player. <laughs> no, and then I don't like ball. that you said that because you know that I'm gearing up to get into Delano Banton right after talking about Malachi Flynn. But I want to focus. <laughs> I want to focus. on <laughs> Can bring the ball. Honestly, up. let's if just let's just give Malachi D because like I don't think I think say. I have to give Mal. I think I. Honestly, I don't even know what I'd give Delano, but like, hold let's on, just give hold on. You cannot say if I have to give credit to this point guard, he can bring the ball up the court. That is, that is, they're, they're NBA players, okay? They're they're in the NBA, but no. Um, I think I think with Malachi, I, I it's not that I just want to leave things on a positive note, but like you know. Like I said, these are NBA players. They're like we're, we're not. Nobody's calling these guys not good, right? And it was like they're bums. No, they're NBA players. They're in the NBA for a reason. Um, they're at a class and at a level that the rest of us can't even really fathom, and that requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of getting better. And so I think we can hope for Malachi Flynn to improve next year, um, in order to not get one attacked relentlessly on the defensive end because I noticed that as well. Um, and two. Figure out his fit in terms of this Raptors offense. Um, and, and you know, his shooting, I think, is going to be really necessary for this team because this team lacks a lot of catch-and-shoot guys. And I think that, like, I don't, I'm trying to picture his pull-up threes. I feel like he should be able to knock them down better. Yeah, but he and doesn't. He's just not a good pull-up three-point shooter. You can, he's, like, he is a, it's not like he does it and you're like, oh, that's shoots, ugly. 
Like he's near 40% or maybe at 40% catch and shoot. But right. he is like, which is fair. Like, but like, like, he takes a lot above the big threes and he takes them right. from like distance. Like he doesn't take them at the line. He takes them two or three feet behind. So he okay. So here's, here's my question. Here's he my question. Almost all of them. Here's, here's my, here's my question. What, in order for, I'm, I'm Malachi Flynn. I'm Malachi Flynn's father. I'm Eric. I'm coming to you and say, what can my son do to get a better grade next year? Oh, teacher, you. Um, he either needs to be a better shooter or be a better point guard. Like if he can actually play create for people, then it'd be great. Like he he realistically needs to be able to find a way to consistently touch the paint. And this is something Nick Nurse has said a okay. few times about him. When Malachi is able to touch the paint and then get the ball out, which is something like people can harp on Fred Van Vliet all they want. But what Fred Van Vliet does on this team that almost very few other players do is someone who gets downhill, touches the paint, and then gets the paint ball touches out. are important. Like for sure, you need to have some sort of drive and kick element in your yeah. in your game. And Malachi yeah. Flynn just failed to do a lot of drive and kick, where he's would like beat his first man off the dribble and then just pull up for a mid ranger. Do you think he lacks so, the size? I think he's just scared. I don't think his hand. But do you think? Do you think that's like a size. size thing? Like obviously, I'm like a Fred VanVleet is not a particularly tall but guy. He's able but Fred to Van do Vliet's it. Like there, there's guy. evidence of him being able to do it, but he just doesn't okay. do it enough, and he's not aggressive enough. I think he gets caught up in two minds, and it's just like you have to kind of better understand what your role is. You're not just like when you go out there, you can't just be a like stand in the corner, stand in the wing, catch and shoot guy. Like you gotta like how do you help the other players on the team? Because, like, the rest of the bench is going to be guys who need someone to create for them. And if the creation is always, like, if Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes are playing with the bench unit, but they have to create all the shots for the bench unit and then create shots for themselves, that's very difficult. Like, you have a bench point guard come in like a Tyus Jones, and that's, like, that would be, like, if Malachi Flynn was at his absolute peak, peak, like, that would be the best he could possibly be in the NBA is uh, Tyus Jones type, where he's a low turnover guy, gets you into your offense, is able to get into the paint and kick it out and hit a good number of threes. Tyus Jones doesn't shoot a lot of them, but he's able to hit just enough to kind of be a reliable threat. And Malachi Flynn doesn't do any of the other stuff. All right. So it's like, Let's... how do you make everyone else's life easier? If you're the bench point guard, you have a big responsibility. So, like, make the starters' jobs easier if they're, like, Pascal Siakam with a bench unit should have a point guard bringing it up and getting yeah. it to him in the spot in the post every single time. You yeah. shouldn't have to bring the ball up the floor, then also then create the advantage, then also then create the play for the next guy. Um, so it's it's making it a bit easier for your players that come off the starting lineup to be able to carry your bench lineups scoring. Yeah. But yeah. Uh so let's let's pivot to to the other the other guard, the other point guard. on the team. Mr. 6'9", Mr. Rexa, what do they call him? 45, that's his jersey number. Um, yeah. All right, so Delano Banton. Delano Banton, if you had to give Toronto's very own, be kind. Uh, Delano Banton a grade, what grade would you give Delano? Delano's a tough grade, too. Like, okay, if I ended up giving Malachi D plus, I'll give Delano. You gave him a C. I gave him a C minus, and I changed it to a D plus. But oh, I got to give him, Jesus. honestly, Malachi and Delano get the same grade. Because, like. Okay. Because expectations are different. No, honestly, the same expectations. They just oh. like Delano got more opportunity and was worse than that. Those opportunities, like, like early on, they're like Delano has physical capabilities that Malachi doesn't have. Yes, and he doesn't use them correctly. Like the amount of times that Delano Benton would just get stuck at the top of the key, holding the ball and just like kind of passing between the wing and the the point back to the wing, like it was just wasted possession. Like. 
for someone like him to not be able to get downhill more with his speed and with his first step, it's a struggle when he when he cut up when he would be a cutter off ball and when he would get like so fun. get downhill. He's actually a very good player. Like he can get to yeah. the rim, he can finish at the rim, he does some great things, but he needs to significantly improve his handle. Like his handle yeah. limits him because like anytime a guard presses up on him, he has to turn. He has to turn his back to the tough. basket. He's six nine. Why do where, like, you're six nine? You don't need a good handle. You're too tall. Yeah, but like he'll turn his back to the basket. And it's like why are you str- like if you're the point guard? How are you struggling to bring the ball up past half court? Like that shouldn't be an, like a significant issue. Like if you can't even get momentum going downhill because you can't set up your defender for the pick because he's constantly pushing up on you and you constantly have to go to your back. That's a problem, right? Yeah. So tightening up his handle and then the other piece is like he is just a dreadful shooter. Like his shot is absolutely broken. Um, and he just has to get better at it. Like, let's just wrap it I out. Think, and I, I think like, Delano kind of has a benefit of being exactly what this team, like the philosophy behind what this team sort of believes, which is you can teach, you cannot teach a guy to be six, nine. You cannot teach a guy to have the dimensions that Delano Banton has or the athleticism or anything like that. You can teach a guy to shoot. You can teach a guy, you can improve a guy's handle. Um, and so like, I'm sort of most excited to see what Delano Banton's um, development looks like um, in the coming years. I mean, this year was it was tough. It was it was a rough wash sometimes, but you know the 905 does exist. And, and the, um, well, the toughest thing with him on the 905 is when he goes down to the 905. Like he would have these like massive games because he'd be the number one option. He'd be touching the ball every time, right. he'd be creating every time. He'd have a physical advantage over what the players because the 905 players are smaller. But then when he comes up to the big club, he has to learn how to play off ball yeah. in the half court and play off the better players. He's not going to be the number one option. And sure. a, like for a guy who is as dangerous as he is when he cuts and goes to the basket, he took way too many off ball threes. The amount of times that he was just waiting and his man would leave him and he would just wait for the pass to then shoot a three, which like, again, you're a 20% three point shooter, like less than that, even on catch and shoot sometimes like you, you should be using your size to actually like, um impact the game like make the defense feel you and whenever he played as a cutter what the games that he was active as a cutter he was like it would be like oh wow that's incredible but then he would any game he got very passive it was suddenly like what are we doing in these minutes we're just like getting to 10 seconds off the shot clock and the ball hasn't even gotten inside the three-point line um so those are things where it's like that's mentality and that's improving your handle and it's improving your offensive awareness i think Delano but as that's a player, also, but Delano as a player has, I think, a significantly higher ceiling than a Malachi Flynn well, because of because just of his physical, physical gifts. Yeah, right for sure. But but to me, that your your comment about the nine oh five and like he is the main guy there. He has the ball. He's getting those touches. And when he plays with the Raptors, you sort of want to see him as more of a, a play finisher, right? You want to see him as sort of the cutter, not the guy necessarily setting up the table. I think he's got to do both. He's going to still be your point guard. Uh, you know, he's still going to have moments where the ball's in his hands, especially coming off the bench. But that's where that connection between the 905 and the Raptors, the main team needs to sort of be better, right? Like that's sort of where you have, like you, you have to sort of use your G league team to help put your players that you are sending down there in positions that they can then transfer over to the main team, right? So not only are you developing his his handle, not only are you developing him as a guy who can set plays up, as a setter up, the blah, 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 point guard, you're also developing his other skill sets that could translate to the NBA and to the team that you need him to play on right now. I think that there needs to sort of be that cohesion, and I felt like that existed in years past, 
Um, I'm going to be honest, did not watch a lot of nine to five this year. Um, but it, I felt like in years past, you started, you saw that stuff. And I don't know. What I don't even fully agree with that because like when Fred, when Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam would go down to nine to five, they'd be like the number one options on the team and dominate everybody. But, but then when okay, Pascal Siakam here's in the his thing. second year you have... comes up to the big club and is playing beside a Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, what was he doing? Dunker spot and cutting like crazy. He wasn't shooting a whole lot of corners. Yeah, yeah. His, his and... whole thing was just le- literally leak outs and transition. That was his whole entire game. But that that's a different scenario when you have your entire bench mob basically there in the in the 905 being developed together. That's they, they were in similar scenarios, is what I'm saying. Like you have Pascal with a Fred Van Vliet, right? You're you're Fred Van Vliet has a ball in his hands. That's what Fred Van Vliet does, and that's what he was doing I with the 905. You're also having like, Norman Powell down there. Also, it's like, a different look, and I'm saying that translates better than just Christian Coloco on his own. There, well, Christian Coloco's fine. He's just a center. He's going to be a center no matter where he goes. But I think what I think that's what you use your but no, G like Delano Banton. For. Like, but like again, the question is like Delano Banton had like an up and down G League season this year too. Like he wasn't like necessarily it's dominating young the and developing time. and incredibly raw. And that's just natural. And, and that's, that's just fine. But what, but what I'm saying is like, if he's going to improve, if he's going to have a better season. Like you have to learn how to play off ball. You have to learn how to use sure. your physical gifts in a way that actually helps the team in a context. That and you're, I like, think that's what a G League affiliate should be able to do. I think, I think there's, I, you're like, developing I both. think there's also a significant, like it's like when you come in to play in the game, you need to know what your role is and know what you do. Sure. That, isn't just about like in the G League, you can expand your skills and develop your skills, but like sure. you also need to be able to understand your role to just apply like the skills you already have. No, I completely agree context. with that. And maybe it's a role definition issue, who knows? But I also think like he just massively struggled to get himself into a game and be impactful whenever he was playing minutes that mattered. Because whenever the game opened up and it was a 20 point game, you suddenly saw Delano getting downhill like no tomorrow. And like being incredibly aggressive. And it's like, well, why couldn't you play with that type of intensity and that type of like focus when, you know, you were playing in the second quarter? All right. So we're get. I mean, hey, so we're getting into, I think, two of the sort of bigger names when we're talking about it. We're starting with the superstar, the man, the myth, the legend himself, the greatest basketball player of all time, Mr. Precious Achua. If you had to give Precious Achua a grade coming off the bench, what grade would you give? I just had like five different seasons, so it's really tough to kind of grade him. It was definitely a disappointing season, so it's going to be like a disappointing, a disappointing season. Yeah, uh, sorry, I have a toothache, I'm just trying to manage, but it's okay. <laughs> um, it was just trying season, to make so... you're, you're coming at Precious Achua. I've got to, I've got to defend him. <laughs> well, like I was, I was looking at Precious' numbers, and honestly, he improved in a lot of areas. He shot the, he shot his free throws better this season. He got up to like near seventy percent, or he was at seventy percent. Um, he finished better at the rim. He had a lot more dunks. He like definitely did better in like 72%. the areas where you'd expect him. Um, he just could not shoot a three, the three ball this season. Like he ended up at twenty seven percent, which is the same he had last season. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and like again, like with him, it was always an issue of he needs to get better at his awareness in the game like again he has less um basketball experience than a lot of the other players um at his age just because um came a little bit later to the game but like and he hasn't played as much organized ball but like you can clearly see like his athleticism is unreal like you can see the like the peaks and then you see the valleys where it's just like he doesn't know whether he's switching on defense or not, he doesn't know whether he's supposed to be helping at the rim. Um, 
and he's just kind of lost out there at times. And then on offense, like you'll just see like what what is going on, like figuring out how to space correctly. Like it is really important for Fresh Situa. Like if he's long term gonna play beside Scotty Barnes and a Pascal Siakam, how he plays around them. Like you have to know where the spots you should be in. And last season, Thad Young really helped him out. Even Ken Birch really helped him out and like figuring out what spots he needed to be in. And the second half of the season, you saw once he kind of figured out where he was supposed to come from, he played a lot better. Yeah. This season, he significantly struggled trying to find where he should be. He was, I think, very confident in his three-point shot early in the season. And when he saw that it just was not going in, I think that really kind of um, messed with how he was going to approach the game, where suddenly he's like, oh, I'm not a three-point spacer anymore. So now he catches, he was pumping and then driving on guys, but those drives weren't going anywhere because he was just kind of driving for the sake of, I don't feel confident in my three-point shot. And it was leading to a lot of awkward situations, clock awareness, stuff like that. And those are all growth areas. I'll give him a, I'll give him a flat C, to be honest, because I think there were still like really good signs from Precious. He improved his free throw shooting, got to the line a bit more this season. Um, I think he finished at the rim a lot better. And at the end of the day, it was like once he did kind of find a consistent role, um, especially and he, regardless of how he was off the bench. Anytime he did play with the starters, he did play well. Like when his role was a lot more defined, um, yeah. like is he is he a drag on the offense? He definitely still is, but he could find a way to fit in when he was with four other good players. Um, near the end of the season, he was, it was pretty rough for him uh, subbing in when he'd come in for Pirtle, Um, just because they would basically this he just wasn't the same level of rim protector this season, and he struggled being in the right spots a lot of the time. A lot of Precious's flaws are that um, are more of the awareness side of things, like knowing how to play basketball side of things versus like his actual talents. Like he's incredibly talented, incredibly gifted. And when he like figures it out, every time it clicks for him in a game, everything looks so easy. Like how did he go from the three point line to a finger roll at the, at the rim in one swoop? It's like, wow, like it blows you away. So it's, it's finding more consistency. And I think role definition will definitely help him. Um, he came in capable of a lot of things, wanting to show off a lot of things. I think early in the season, he was bringing the ball up a lot after rebounding. Um, so yeah. his turnovers were up. And the second half of the season, you saw that he wasn't bringing up the ball as often. He wasn't shooting as many threes. Um, and he was kind of settling into kind of figuring out what he needed to be and what his role needed to be. Um, and hopefully in like, you know, a more like whoever the new coach is, if they have a more consistent defensive um, philosophy, one that maybe isn't as, um, chaotic and tricky to um figure out because it uh the nick nurse's scheme asks a lot of whoever's playing the five uh, yeah. whoever's playing the back line really needs to be on their toes and know the personnel of who's around them uh to know oh like where am i supposed to be how am i supposed to help should i be showing more help or not right now so that's difficult for a young player anyways like i think as much as we give scotty like like, you know, be like, oh, he's not like he'll get blown by on the point of the attack or like as a low man, he might get lost every so and so. I think Scotty still does a pretty good job of managing a very difficult system. Um, and Precious could just struggle with it this year. I think if we add a, something a little bit more simplified, and that's actually something I think goes across the board for the entire bench that we talked about. The one part of the season where the bench actually found some success was when they would just come in and Nick would scrap the defense, say we're playing zone and they would just play zone on defense. And be like, all right, on offense, we'll figure something out, but at least we won't give up too much on defense. Um, and that worked for them for a bit until teams started to really like uh, just start zoning them back. <laughs> um, 
But uh, okay, so yeah. here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Rogers and Jewel's report card would be the funniest thing ever because, like, you know how like you'll, the final grade would be like oh, the C or whatever. Yeah. But like, you'll get into like the nitty gritty. You'd be like, oh look, E here. You know, E here, like A here, A here, whatever, like excellent or A. And then you're like, oh, D's, oh, F's. Oh, like it's just like all over the place that the average just ends up being a C because I think he is, uh, you know, incredibly talented and gifted. And, you know, to me, Precious the is the face of growth isn't linear, <laughs> right? So like anytime anyone gets a little frustrated, I'm just like, hey, growth isn't linear, growth isn't linear. And and I completely agree with role definition and how that yeah, forget even season to season. We're talking about game to game, game to quarter game. to quarter. <laughs> Possession to possession. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, it's funny that, yeah, someone who has no clock awareness had the ball so often, especially early on in the season. Like, why? <laughs> like, there's no, there's no need. Um, yeah. So it's okay. So with Precious Achua, definitely, I think rule definition matters. And honestly, having Gakka Pertle come in now and you have Christian Coloco off the bench, you're going to see a lot of Precious just as a perimeter defender and letting him go crazy there. I think this season, the face of the season has been, uh, or the theme of the season has been overextending guys. And that's just across the board. That's what the starters playing, you know, leading the league in minutes uh, for the third year in a row um, and things like that. We're, we're talking about a lot of guys being overextended, playing outside of their position. And, you know, I think Pasha Chua has proven himself to be a small ball five. And I think you're still going to see small ball five lineups, I'd imagine, uh, next season as well. But he also just sort of gets to be a menace on the perimeter if the Raptors do play him alongside, playing him alongside Jakob, I'm thinking about it right now. The spacing is going to be horrible. Like <laughs> The spacing with the Raptors is going to be horrible. Regardless, whoever the coach is, is going to have a lot of fun playing with Precious Achua and figuring out what his role is on this team. Because I do think he kind of, you know, a lot of these guys are Swiss Army knives. And Precious Achua, in my opinion, is the most fun one because he's my favorite human being um, playing basketball. Sorry, that's just a, a little precious rant. I just wanted to have some fun in this because precious is great. Um, and finally, last but not least, the man who started for half of the season and looks to maybe be coming back next year and possibly in a role off the bench if he does, Gary Trent Jr. What grade would you give him? Specifically, bench player. Gary. Well, Jeff. Gary Bench Jr. is getting a C minus because okay. for what like for a starter to go to the bench and struggle the way he did and mm. to be just like as poor and as inconsistent as he, as he was um, game to game, because he wasn't just like a bench player who was playing 10 minutes. He was playing like a when like he was trusted with 25 minutes on the off the bench at the minimum, which is pretty solid. Like, you know where your minutes are coming from. You know that you're going to get a lot of shots, a lot of touches when you're coming off the bench. They basically gave him like the Lou Will playbook, um, like where he's giving and and the shot clock looks. Fact of the matter was that Gary Trent Jr. One of the reasons why like I struggled with um, the conversation at the beginning of the season to start Precious over him was one I think a he's a better player than Precious, uh, but b he is actually not a good creator. Like a shot creator, he is actually not. Because like outside of a step back mid range jumper, he really doesn't have any type of creation abilities. And even if he is able to create for himself, he can't leverage any of the advantages with any playmaking. He just does not have any playmaking yeah, abilities. Yeah. So when he went to the bench, and now suddenly he has to be 
the guy creating offense. You just have these ISO possessions that are starting from 30 feet out and ending with him taking like a side step three or a step back mid range jumper where, and it's not even that it's um, dynamic. It's fairly static. Like he's a fairly stiff mover uh, with the ball. He doesn't really get downhill much. Yeah. And that really hurt him as a bench player. Like a lot of his, like he was a near 40, like I think 38 or 39% catch and shoot three point shooter, but he was like 20, I think he was like under 30% on pull-ups. Uh, he takes a lot of shots above the above the break, which are more difficult. But for like his very hyper specific role of just being a scorer, especially a microwave scorer, yeah. he was nowhere near good enough when he came off the bench. And especially just like it was it was shocking, especially in the second half. And I know he dealt with injury issues and stuff. So, yeah, you got to give him a bit of a pass because like, yeah, for what it's worth, like Gary has been like an automatic bucket when you get him an open catch and shoot. And he yeah. wasn't even hitting those for like near the end of the season where you're just getting him these wide open looks and he's just complete like that. That Lakers road, trip, game, was rough. That road yeah. trip for him was just like unbelievably bad. Yeah. And that was bad for both precious and Gary, but like yeah. Gary was like, Hey, you're the guy coming off the bench and you can't get a bucket, like not a single made basket. That is, that's rough. Um, And I think that kind of plays at the top of your mind where it's like, Hey, as a starter, all he does is finish plays. He doesn't actually create or for anybody else or anybody else. Like yeah. a lot of his threes were created by Pascal Siakam outside yeah. of playing with Pascal Siakam. Gary Trent really struggles um, with his game. He does not play well unless he's playing a fair number of minutes with Pascal Siakam. And Pascal happens to be the guy who gets doubled the most and draws the most attention and right. gives you the most open shots on this team. Right. So there is a definite like Gary is a starter level player coming off the bench. He's just like maxed out his catch and shoot like his shooting ability he's like max that out as much as he can from a set position like set shooting he's really good at right. but then the other skills that kind of build up like the guys who are some of the best scorers in the game like and if you want to like really think of a comp for him like you would look at like a buddy healed or a tim hardaway jr buddy healed great movement shooter he gets downhill um he's one of the best three-point shooters in the game right period gary trent jr isn't at that level at all um three-point shooting he's a good three-point shooter he's a pretty elite you are player, but he's not like elite elite, <laughs> you right? are right yeah tim hardaway jr is another guy who's able to get downhill um yeah. before before the injuries especially he was like yeah great at pull, pull up three-point shooting and getting downhill um even though he was tunnel vision where it's like hey gary you can be tunnel vision but like just create something a little bit more like be able to create a more significant advantage um and that's why when you look at oh the raptors are bottom in effective field goal percentage uh right you have to think of like part of his development, like you have Scotty Barnes taking a ton of mid-range jumpers and not shooting them well. OG that's as part well. of his development. You've got OG shooting mid-range jumpers. And I, like you have a lot of players that like settle for mid-range jumpers on this team and very few of them are actually very good at them. So yes, that's you're spacing have for the Raptors. Exactly. <laughs> the Raptors right? spacing is 10 feet out. <laughs> exactly. So, and if Gary Trent Jr., who's going to be your three-point shooter and volume three-point shooter is also just like he takes threes and mid-range jumpers and it, i think that's the biggest difference between him and a norman powell where right norm get was at the rim or at the line yeah while gary is two levels and the one level he's missing is like one of the most important levels for a guard uh which is well i think that's like know. the biggest issue for the raptors is yeah. you look across the board just don't have anyone to get Malachi Flynn does not get downhill delano banton does not have a handle strong enough to get him downhill um fred van vliet like Fred is Fred is Fred and like 
that's and a for like like for, like for Fred, the other one. Like Fred then, getting downhill is not like a downhill threat to we're score. Driving kick, but Fred. he does a really good right. job creating out excellent, of getting downhill. Yeah, so yeah. like you no, live and with that's it. that's fair. Fred is getting you your paint touches. Like the fact of the matter is, when the ball is in any of these other guys' hands, including Scotty Barnes, and they're asked to be you know the the point guard the Raptors offense is being set up from the three-point line. Like, it's just, you're not getting inside at all. Um, and that was where, just, like, the offensive conversation with Gary Trent Jr., but he <laughs> completely, not do the defensive one. he completely fell off defensively this I'm season. Like, like, we'll, the we'll, point we'll, just, where, we'll just blame that on the coach. We'll just, that's I don't think you can blame it on the, the coach when you're just yeah. getting actively targeted by every single team. Tuned out. That's that's the scapegoat that I'm I'm rolling with right now. Okay, you get one, you roll with it. But no, I think that that's sort of the, the conversation about Gary Trent Jr. and and his inability to get downhill. It's it's the issue with the Raptors. You don't have any guard that can do that for you. And if you don't have any guard who can do that for you, you don't have anyone who can do that for you. Um, and and like you need that in today's NBA. The playoffs are showing you that. Another thing that you need in today's NBA is a bench, which is why I think it was important for us to have this conversation. And it, it's gone on long, but I think we've touched on a lot of the key bench players. I know we didn't get to everybody today, but I think, you know, hopefully a lot of these guys do return. Gary Trent Jr., for his limitations, he's still so incredibly necessary for what this Raptors can do because he can create for himself, right? Like, there are very few guys who can create his own shot. I know you were saying that self-creation is something that he struggles with and you're comparing him to a guy like Norman Powell, but I think that, like, we've seen it, especially in playing with the starters, right? When plays break down and you need someone to be able to just make something out of nothing, he's a good guy to just get the ball to and he, he'll he throw something up, he'll create something for himself and he, he's good at doing stuff like that. He's necessary for what this team needs and I know I talked about him with the starters as opposed to being with the bench. I still I don't think... say he's... I, I I disagree with saying he's necessary for what this team needs. Like, yes, the Raptors need to bring him back. They need someone free agent, And you can't, you can't... Like, you can't lose him for nothing and, like, you do need to have a... Like, the Raptors do need a you guard need who can score off the bench. I don't know if Gary Trent Jr. is the answer long term, but you definitely sure. bring him back that's as fair. a free agent. No, no, and then that's maybe fair. That's fair. I'm not saying out. that he's like an untouchable player on this team. I'm not comparing him to a Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam or someone who's like that integral to what this team does, but he's certainly necessary for what this team needs because they don't have someone who can replicate his skill set at the end of the day. They just yeah. don't. What I do um, hope is that whoever the first round pick is this year becomes a player that you can get 15 to 20 minutes off the bench from. If the Raptors that would be were great. Like, the Raptors got near 15 minutes a game out of Christian Coloco off the bench. If they have, they have a first round pick in the lottery this year, they should be able to get 15 to 20 minutes out of that player, whoever they draft. That if that's a guard, fantastic. that would really help this team. That would be fantastic. Can the person shoot? <laughs> yeah. Just make their shoot. But we'll get into that in another podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Asad. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening to us today. Peace out. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.